Uh, good morning, everyone. Uh, I'm Tim, if you haven't met me before. I'm one of the members at Heaven Street, uh, and I'd love to meet you later on uh, if I haven't got to yet. Uh, let's pray and ask for God's help as we get to his word. Heavenly Father, thank you that we can be again with you in this new year as your people celebrating around your son, Jesus. Uh, thank you that in him we have unity and fellowship, and in him uh, we join eagerly in hearing uh, your word as we sing it and as it's taught. I pray you'd help us all to hear you clearly as you speak through this psalm. Help me to speak your truth clearly. I pray that all of us would catch a glimpse of your glory that would forever change us. And in Jesus' name we pray all these things. Amen. What city do you guys love the most? Uh, what place, whether it's a place you've been in before or a place you're in now, do you think has shaped your love, your desires, and more about who you are as a person? If you're like me, you probably actually like Brisbane a lot. You might have been here a while or not very long, but there's things about Brisbane that start to rub off on you, stuff about the culture here, stuff about just the way people do things and act and live that starts to shape who you are. And I've got to notice this a lot because I've worked over the years with lots of international students who have come in with fresh eyes and got to see what it actually looks like for people to be shaped and moulded by living in Brisbane. Um, often it's these people who have a better idea of what we're like than ourselves. Um, they say to me all sorts of things. They say that Brisbane people are carefree and relaxed. They don't know how to stress. Uh, we don't take ourselves too seriously and we're actually serious about not being serious. Apparently we're pretty sporty, at least some people, not, not me. Uh, we love the outdoors. Um, and once they've learned the words, they realise just how bogan we are in Brisbane. But recently it's meant other things for us, hasn't it? In Brisbane, uh, up until December at least, we had this mixed feeling of safety and isolation because of what the COVID situation was like here. Being a local meant big differences in travel rules, and often we were separated from family and friends in other states, while still enjoying the difference of less cases. That's all changed a lot now, and it feels like more than ever, the city that you're in shapes so much of your life and everything that you do. What do you love about being in Brisbane? Do you even love being in Brisbane? How do you think being here has shaped you? Psalm 87 brings all of God's people to praise and honour a different city, the city that he loves, the city of Zion. It's one of a bunch of psalms that are themed around Zion, and it's the name of the mountain that's synonymous with the city of Jerusalem. And I reckon at first, when we read these psalms, it feels a bit weird. We feel like we're the outsiders looking in on all this celebration and praise on a place we've never been to at a time we're so far away from. And we just really don't know how to respond. But I think as we go through, I'm hoping you'll be able to catch some of these bigger ideas that are attached to being these people in Zion and how through Jesus, we can be united in singing these same praises for, with these faithful people of old wholeheartedly as ones experiencing these ourselves. 
Um, so let's get into it. Um, you'll notice at the top of the psalm, if, in case you haven't been in psalms much, that there's usually a line there at the top. In your Bible, if it's an ESV or an NIV, it'll be in italics. And it's always a good habit to read that because unlike the big headings in your Bible, that's actually scripture. It's what's in the original um, scripture as it's transmitted to us. These lines give us context of the Psalms like the author, maybe when it was written or the purpose and the style of the Psalm. Though this one's a bit light on information. Uh, we see it's a Psalm, that's good, we're in the right place. It's one of 11 that are ascribed to the sons of Korah, which were a particular group of um, musos out of a family line in Israel. And it's a song. But there's nothing actually about the background of where it was written or why and the purpose. And so we actually have to dig a bit harder into figuring out what's going on. But I think where this psalm fits in the broader book of psalms helps us out a lot. Psalm 87 is found in book three of the psalms. They run from 73 to 89, so it's right towards the end. And this book is filled with psalms of adversity and judgment and longing. The people are afflicted and so often calling for restoration, uh, for things to be like the glory that they used to be. God's judgment is pronounced on the world and even on his people for the way that they've rejected him. And as one author says, it all smells of exile. That's the time when the Israelites were conquered and carried away by foreign nations for many years because of the way that they'd been unfaithful to their God. On the surface, you might have realized this as it was read, Psalm 87 feels a bit different to all of that, doesn't it? It doesn't have those same heavy themes and words, but I think its placement helps us to better understand it. Amidst Psalms dealing with exile and suffering, this one offers the people then, and us now, of an amazing view of hope towards the future reality of God's people. Uh, let me read the first three verses. On the holy mount stands the city he founded. The Lord loves the gates of Zion more than all the dwelling places of Jacob. Glorious things of you are spoken, O city of God. These first three verses introduce the city. The city, Jerusalem, is founded by God. It's the city that he established, and that's what makes it strong and safe and secure. It's on uh, around a mountain, but really it's God's work in creating it and sustaining it that gives them their security. God loves this city and its gates more than any of the other places amidst his people, and glorious things are spoken about it. You might recognize this from the famous uh, hymn by John Newton, which I don't know very well, but I'm sure there's a bunch in our congregation who do. And these glorious things that are spoken, there's more in mind than just what's in this psalm. The rest of the psalms are littered with praise for this place. And so what makes it so special? I think there's two main ideas going on. Um, the first, that it's the place of God's presence, particularly around the temple. And the second, that it's the place of God's rule. I'll go through both of those quickly, um, and hopefully you'll see a bit more about what's going on. So first, the temple. 
Um, you might remember that Jerusalem is the place where um, Solomon uh, established the first temple for God to dwell in. The temple was the particular place where God dwelt amongst his people. Now, obviously, he's not constrained to that place. God is bigger and more immense than even this whole world. But the temple represented a special presence with them. Part of what makes this place holy and glorious to God uh, and to the people is that he is there amidst them. At the temple, people encounter God. At the temple, visitors from within Israel and outside of Israel can come in and get a glimpse of his glory. Being born into Zion means living in the midst of God's dwelling place. The second thing is that uh, it's a big theme through the Psalms that Zion is the place of God's rule. Zion is spoken of as the seat of God's rule and judgment across the whole earth. But it's also seen as the place of God's anointed king. You, in response to the boasts of all the enemy nations around about their power and control, in Psalm 2, the Lord laughs and he speaks of his king. As for me, he says, I have set my king on Zion, my holy hill. This king will rule and judge and inherit the whole world. And Zion is considered the city of David and ends up being connected to these promises given to David by God of a forever kingdom in his line. And so naturally, being born into Zion means enjoying God's rule. And so enjoying his justice and mercy and security, enjoying all the benefits that come from having a God ruling over the place you're in. And so the glorious words about Zion across the Psalms, they say many things, but I think they're mainly focused on those two things, particularly his presence and his rule. And I think that's what makes its placement within the book of Psalms really remarkable. It's surrounded by Psalms dealing with exile, and Zion is the place that God's people were distanced from. They were carted away from by enemy nations. They ransacked it. The nations defiled the temple. People who previously enjoyed God's protection there were now facing his judgment because of their rejection of him. Singing this psalm must have felt so hard. Singing of a place where they've been separated from and even as they returned was just a small glimmer of the previous glory would have been dreadful at times. But I think this is the first of a couple of signs that there's more going on here. That the psalm is actually having a future look towards something even greater and more glorious. It's just not the physical place that they once knew and even that they returned to. It's something even better. And verses 4 to 6 really make that clear. So among those who know me, I mention Rahab and Babylon. Behold, Philistia and Tyre with Cush. This one was born there, they say. And of Zion it should be said, this one and that one were born in her. For the Most High himself will establish her. The Lord records as he registers the peoples, this one was born there. These verses are showing a remarkable glimpse of the future, and it's repeated three times in different ways that people from all the surrounding nations 
enemies and foreigners, people worshipping other gods in the past, shall be as if they're born in Zion. Five surrounding nations are mentioned, and I think they're representative of all of the nations as being ones that could be born into Israel. The first is Rahab, and it's not Rahab the prostitute, you might remember from other times in the Old Testament. I think it's actually talking about the name of a sea monster that gets referenced in Job, and then later on in places like Isaiah gets used as like a nickname for Egypt. And so the people from Egypt, the great enemy and oppressors and enslavers from the times of Exodus, even these people will be said to be born in Zion in the time to come. Next is Babylon. They're the ones who came in and ransacked Zion. They're the ones who defiled the temple, who brought the people away, and they mocked the Lord when his people would speak about him after. Even people from Babylon will be said to be born in Zion. The third is Philistia, so the Philistines. They've been enemies in different ways of God's people since even around Genesis. People from there will be born in Zion, and people in the last two will. These rich, resource and trade-heavy places of Tyre and Cush, their flags for judgment by later prophets amongst all of these nations. But people even from there will be counted among the people born in Zion. All these nations filled with God's enemies, and yet he'll bring from amongst them people into his city. And not just bringing them in, but making them citizens and giving them almost like new parents. This new citizenship means they'll enjoy all the benefits of being God's people. And it's just remarkable because how could that possibly happen? In the psalm, there's no kind of mention of how this could be, but just an assurance that God is at work in doing it. He's the one that's registering the people in verse 6. He's the one who owns the city, who established it. He's the one who is in control. And so somehow God will draw these people in. He will give them this new birth and he will make them as his people. And finally, in the last verse, they'll join all of God's gathered people in praise. Verse 7 says that the singers and dancers alike say, all my springs are in you. This verse to me feels a bit like the last song and dance number in a musical. So everything's happened. It's all been really emotional. All the conflict is sorted. And now everyone with the same one voice and same motion is responding to the things in the story. Exactly who the you is is a bit ambiguous. It could be talking about Zion or it could be talking about God. And I think either way works. But Zion makes the best sense since that's been the subject of the whole psalm so far. And so when they say that they join in singing, all my springs are in you, they're saying that in Zion, all of their life and sustenance is found there. It's what they depend on for everything they need, everything that nurtures life. In this last verse, all God's people, whether born in the city naturally or unnaturally somehow, like this psalm talks about, join in praising the life they're given with God there. It's a beautiful picture, isn't it? 
But again, what a hard one for the people to sing. In the book, in the Psalms, amidst all of this talk of exile, when the previous splendor of the city has become a mess, when they're singing about the very people who took them into captivity and anticipating that they would be worshipping amongst them with God, surely it would be easier for them to keep singing um, the calls for judgment in other psalms of God's enemies and for his justice to roll over the earth. And yet still, by singing it, I think that kept their trust longing towards this future glory. They acknowledge that their God is so mighty and glorious that he would even bring their oppressors to join with them. He would turn them to love and acknowledge God. Inconceivable, yet promised by God. And we're left at the end of the psalm wondering how it's going to happen. And I think this longing of the people is so clearly fulfilled in Jesus. In Jesus, God's people find a place of God's presence, love and holiness, salvation, life and rule. As we've celebrated over Christmas, Jesus is God with us in flesh. His father says about him that this is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. He knew no sin and lived righteously under God in complete holiness. And yet he took the punishment on the cross for the sins of all who would have faith. We have assurance of salvation and security knowing that he took God's wrath us. In his resurrection, we have full assurance of new life, eternal life. He's the promised forever king from David's line who will return to reign and judge and bring us to be with him forever as he reigns over the whole world. Being found in Jesus means all these same benefits of being found as one of God's people in Zion. It means enjoying God's presence and rule especially. And it's faith in Jesus that what brings about this new birth that the psalm talks about. Jesus says in the Gospels that we all need new birth that only he offers. And in Galatians 3, verses 7 to 9, Paul writes that it's those of faith who are made God's people. Whether Jew or Gentile, all are made sons of Abraham, all are receivers of God's promises to his people, from times past. Faith in Jesus means the offer of joining his kingdom is extended to people from all nations, not just the Jewish people, but everyone. Paul then later writes in chapter 4 that for Christians, the Jerusalem above is like our mother, not the one below, the earthly, the physical one. That is, we're born into the heavenly Jerusalem now the heavenly Zion. This is exactly the kind of new birth that's talked about in the psalm, isn't it? And then in Hebrews chapter 12, I think we see the triumphant result of what it looks like. Let me read from verse 22. For you have come to Mount Zion and to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, and to innumerable angels in festal gatherings, and to the assembly of the firstborn who are enrolled in heaven, and to God the judge of all, and to the spirits of the righteous made perfect, and to Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant, 
and to the sprinkled blood that speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. It's through the blood of Jesus and through faith in his work on the cross that we gather now in celebration around this holy spiritual mountain. We're all enrolled in and enjoy all the benefits of being citizens in God's heavenly city. And whenever we come in local gatherings today, whether it's us here now or all Christians around the world today and all through the week, we're just experiencing a glimmer of what it's like in verse 7 of the psalm, of us singing and dancing and exclaiming that with God in us, we enjoy new life forever that he brings us. But this is really just a glimmer of the future end of what's to come. In the well-known words in Revelation in chapter 7, we see the complete picture of the gathering of all God's people. They're spoken about as the great multitude that no one could number, from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages, standing before the throne and the Lamb, before Jesus. It's a picture of all nations, representatives from all of them, having been made God's people, having been born into his kingdom, and together worshipping. And then in chapters 21 and 22, in the new creation, this heavenly picture of the city we're born into comes down. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven with God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them and they will be his people and God himself will be with them as their gods. Later it says that this new Jerusalem has no need for a temple because God is there amidst them. It will have the river of life flowing, flowing through it and people living amongst this city will enjoy life to the full forever with God and his people reigning amidst his presence. Today we gather as just a small number of Christians from around Mount Gravatt in Brisbane in 2022, but in this day to come and for eternity following, we'll enjoy the gathering of all God's people from all nations, from all time, millions upon millions upon millions, all joining in celebration and praise around God himself. It's just wonderful, isn't it? I think that's how we join in in singing Psalm 87. Today is God's people born into his kingdom through faith in Jesus. We've been brought in all enemies before, all sinners, all people that rejected God, but now made citizens and given new birth. We enjoy everlasting life in Jesus. This is true for all Christians. And so how does that shape the way that we live now? How does being citizens and members of this heavenly city start to overflow into our lives as we await for its return? I think there's three ways that are pretty obvious from the passage. And the first, and where we have to start, is that we all need to be born into God's kingdom. And the only way for this to happen is through faith in Jesus, as Ken was saying at communion time. If you're not a Christian today, you could be coming from a whole bunch of different backgrounds and thoughts. You could be the sort of person who thinks that God could never accept you, 
that you have no place amongst him or his people because of who you are or what you've done. But if this is you, then you need to hear that Jesus, God's king, God himself in flesh, came and died for people just like you, that you could be saved from the wrath you deserve. No one is deserving of forgiveness, not you or me or anyone in all of Jesus' church. But regardless of who you are and what you've done, you can enjoy this new birth and citizenship amongst God's people through trusting in Jesus. Or maybe instead, you're the sort of person who thinks you just could never accept God. It's just impossible to think that you could believe in him, that you could trust in Jesus in this way. But I think that sounds just as impossible as the impossible birth that's going on in the psalm. At the time of the exile, I can imagine all these surrounding nations to Israel who had conquered the country, who felt like they had defeated their gods, who had enslaved the people or just separated them, laughing at the idea of believing in this God of Israel. And yet, people came to know God from amongst those nations through the witness of his people. Christians today are people previously worshipping different things. Every one of us, before we were a Christian, has worshipped other gods or family or wealth or success. And yet God has brought all of us into true praise and worship of him. And so if that's you, if you just think it's impossible that you could believe, then I urge you just to keep hearing and reading about the person of Jesus. Keep coming and hearing the amazing things he's done and said that it's just like no one else in the whole world. Keep meeting him in the pages of the Bible and keep asking the Christians around you the questions that you have and the objections that you have because it would be a terrible thing to have heard of this great news of forgiveness and citizenship with God and yet never accept it. You can know and enjoy today the glories of being counted as one of God's children through repentance and faith in Jesus. And is that you yet? Are you needing to come to him in repentance and trust? I think the second thing the passage is saying is that we really ought to love Jesus' church. I think that means loving him and the people in it. One of the good things about COVID is it's actually made us realise how many things we've taken for granted. And one of those things was church, our physical gatherings together as God's people. When we were separated under the government's protective measures, we missed joining together physically to experience and praise together the glory of the gospel and Jesus at work in the world. And any local gathering of God's people is an expression of that same kind of gathering that's happening in the psalm. But I think often what makes it hardest for us is actually the people that we're physically gathering with. People from everywhere fill the church, people who are all enemies of God and now fellow citizens, and that's precisely what makes it hard. Church isn't a club or a hobby that's filled with people from all the same backgrounds or ethnicity or experience as you. Church isn't something that you just simply give up on because you don't get along with the people um, and try to find new ones. You don't get to choose who walks in here. God's at work in choosing who does. The only thing common across all Christians is our shared love of Jesus and his church. 
and loving him continues to grow in us more and more love for his people. That's why I've been able to go overseas and visit a church in a completely different language to what I speak with people from different backgrounds and yet be still treated as a fellow countryman and brother and friend because we're born into the same family under the same king. The Israelites of old sung that their oppressors would be brought to worship with them side by side and persecuted Christians today pray that the people persecuting them would come to know the same love of Jesus that they do, even in the way that they respond to their persecution. And so if we've already been born into this same family, into this great city, then we ought to love one another as we gather and praise our God. And as we do with that, we join with the faithful people from generations and generations past that have done the same in speaking glorious things about Jesus and his church. And the last thing, I think, is that we should long for the city that is to come, and that means not getting too attached to any one place here. As beautiful as it is, this experience that we have of church together, it's really only a taste of what's to come. We look forward to that day when all people, all Christians will be gathered in the city to come. And I think this challenges us to think carefully about the way we live in places now. Some of us love Brisbane or places like Brisbane, that's me included. But I've met many people including Christians who would never want to move away from the city that they're in. I've heard the same from people in Sydney or Melbourne or everywhere, and it's not necessarily a bad thing, but one day all of us will be moving, won't we? All of us will move together into this great and better garden city in the new creation, in the new Jerusalem. And so the places that we're in now aren't ultimate, and they never fulfill our deep yearnings for sustenance and belonging. So don't be so attached that you would never consider moving somewhere that you could be serving the gospel well in. No one can take away our heavenly citizenship, and so that frees us up to choose harder, more difficult places to live in for the sake of the gospel. Brisbane is great, but would you consider going somewhere different to serve the gospel? Would you consider going to somewhere in rural Queensland where uh, I've been out to recently with some students where there is no one in the church between the age of 17 and 40, I think, um, where everyone is tired and under-resourced and under-equipped and would love other Christians to help them um, serve Jesus in reaching their community? Would you consider going overseas to places that could only dream of having a church even as small as ours, um, who've only ever met with a handful of Christians in their whole lives? Don't look for lasting satisfaction in places even as good as Brisbane. You'll never find it, and it's only in the city to come. And so let that free you up to be of best service wherever you might go, for our Lord and King Jesus. We all need to be born into God's kingdom, to his heavenly city through faith in Jesus. And that means loving, gathering as his people now, even as we long for that heavenly city coming down in the new creation. And as we wrap up this morning, 
Let me leave you with a quote from Christopher Ashe, whose writing was helpful for me as I've been reading through and thinking on Psalms. He says that for Psalms like this one about Zion, if we learn nothing else of Zion in the Psalms, we will do well to let the Psalms stir up and deepen in us affection, remembering that it is an affection first for Jesus Christ and then for the Church of Christ, which is the foreshadowing here on earth of all that Zion is promised to be. It's an affection for the things of Christ, the things of Christ's gospel, and the things of Christ's church. These psalms will stir in us pure devotion of the church, Christ's bride, and for our bridegroom. Is this an affection and love and devotion that you've tasted through being one of God's people? I hope reading and reflecting on this psalm and others like it will continue to build this up into you and me as we continue to live as God's people, anticipating that day when we'll be with him forever. Let's let me pray for all of us in response to this psalm. Heavenly Father, we give you great thanks and praise because of all that you've done in the world and for us. Though we've been all born in different places and nations and peoples, you've brought us to be born of your heavenly city to the work of Jesus. Lord, give us love for your Son and for each other. Help us delight in knowing him as we gather together and sing your praises. Grow in us love for one another that flows out of this love for Jesus and cause us to long deeply for when the heavenly Zion, this new Jerusalem comes where we enjoy life eternal with you and all your gathered people. And we pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen.